Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Another episode of Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple. Uh, just me today. Taryn is not with us, but congratulations, everybody. You made it to yet another opening day. Uh, the Mets have won yet another opening day game. Uh, they picked off the Marlins 5-3. Uh, we have a you know a very quick breakdown. A very busy show today, so we're going to break down what we have uh, what we saw on Thursday very quickly. Second part of the show, we're talking to Mike Greenberg. You guys know him from you know. A, a long-time fixture at, at ESPN between, you know, it was Mike and Mike first, and there uh, now he's at Get Up, he's NBA Countdown, also has ESPN Radio with his co-author on the book that we're talking about today, Paul Hempikidis. Uh Got Your Number is the name of the book. It's the greatest sports legends and the numbers they own. Uh, really fun to talk with Mike Greenberg. And then we're bringing our friends at the Apple in. We're going to do some predictions. We're going to do... Uh, I guess some Mets stuff, some league-wide stuff, and just have some fun. But before we get into all that, let's talk about Thursday. Uh, the Mets, really nice day all around. Very nice team win. Uh, Scherzer was very much in control. A little shaken up in the uh, in his last inning of work, but we'll get into all that. Brandon Nimmo was most likely your offensive player of the game. Uh, double walk, three RBI. Uh, run scored, Starling Marte, a couple of very, very timely base hits, run scored, uh, Francisco Lindor, a hit, an RBI on a sack fly, Jeff McNeil back to doing his thing, he was two for four with a run driven in, uh, we saw Daniel Vogelback getting involved very early, we also saw Buck, you know, not afraid to move his DH around uh, mid-game as he was last year, so third inning, Daniel Vogelback leads off with a walk. Very nice. We like that. Uh, Omar Narvaez making his first regular season start with the Mets since coming over this offseason. Uh, one out single, and Fogey moves around to third base. Moving well this year. He lost, lost a little weight, looking trim, looking athletic. Uh, Brandon Nimmo, a sharp sacrifice, pretty much a sacrifice line drive. Uh, Vogie hustles home from third on that, which is probably not an easy thing to do on a on a line drive sacrifice. But there we go; it's one nothing Mets uh, in the sixth. Nimmo starts things off with a walk. Marte singles. Nimmo, of course, as we're starting to see a pattern kind of evolve already, goes first to third. Uh, Marte moves over on uh, on the next little sequence, and uh, Lindor. Sacrifice fly scores. It's two nothing. Marte moves to third. Uh, McNeil drives in Marte later in the inning. Make it three nothing, and all of a sudden the Mets are cruising. You know, Max Scherzer is cruising. I want to say he was somewhere near the minimum through the fifth, and uh, yeah, hit a little hiccup in the sixth. Jacob Stallings, who's been a thorn in the Mets side in the past, uh, double to start the inning. 
Uh, Luis Arias, I believe his second double of the game, that made it 3-1 to score Stallings. Um, Max got Scherzer to strike out. Uh, <laughs> Max got Segura to strike out, excuse me. And Garrett Cooper, who's really a fine young player. He kind of flies under the radar because it's Miami. But uh, two-run homer, ties up the game, and all of a sudden the Mets are, uh, you know, you got to, you got to stick to your guns here. And, you know, they do. <laughs> With, for all intents and purposes, they really do what they got to do in the seventh. Uh, Eduardo Escobar went out single. Omar Narvaez follows with a walk. Brandon Nimmo with a rope double scores uh, Escobar and Narvaez. Mets are up 5-3. And I know there's been a lot of talk about the uh, the bullpen and kind of how things are going to shake out with uh, without Diaz and you know, it's only one game out of 162, but everything kind of worked out real nicely this first uh, first time out. Uh, Drew Smith, uh, leadoff double, he allowed to, um, oh, I don't have it in front of me, and shame on me. Oh, it's uh, Avisayo Garcia. Uh, worked around that, struck out two to close out the inning. He was fired up. Good for him. I think he's going to be a really important piece this year. Brooks Raley in his Mets regular season debut struck out two. And David Robinson, who we spoke about on the show last week about how important we thought he was going to be in Edwin Diaz's absence, did just that. Came out, got the save, got the job done, struck out two, and the Mets are on to uh, to game two with a uh, 1-0 record. What the Mets are not going to game two with is Justin Verlander, as uh, you guys may have heard on Thursday afternoon. Justin Verlander is going to the IL. Um, he'll still be throwing throughout. He's got a muscle strain in the back of his shoulder. It's called the – oh, now I'm going to probably mess it up because I don't have it in front of me. But uh, they're saying it's the lat's little friend or little helper. So it's a little muscle that it helps in the acceleration and deceleration of the shoulder. Um some soreness there. Verlander, if you listen to his quotes, I believe Mets, uh, either the, the Mets or SNY had it on their social media. Um, he doesn't seem overly concerned. As I mentioned, the Mets will, are going to allow him to continue throwing at, I believe, I quote, moderate intensity uh, throughout and do re-imaging in about a week. So I uh, have to assume the home opener is going to be off the table uh, in his Absence, I believe, in his first start and next turn up is going to be Tyler McGill, who, again, talked about in the last show, has had uh, some issues this spring. But, you know, once the lights come on or what have you, uh, I bet you we see a different Tyler McGill, especially with the uh, the ante upped up a little uh, ante up. uh, You know what I meant to say with the ante up a little bit. So, you know. I, first to first and foremost, you got to hope that Justin Verlander's okay. But beyond that, um, I think all things were, for the most part, encouraging for the uh, first game of the year. And uh, I do believe the Mets start kick right into it on Friday. They do. They don't have the day off after opening day, which is really cool. It's one of the things I never understood. Why would you give like 80% of teams the day off after opening day? It just... Never made sense to me, but not this year. The Mets have uh, David Peterson going on Friday against uh, Jesus Luzardo, who's, if you guys aren't familiar, outstanding. Uh, electric fastball, killer 
off-speed, uh, biting, breaking stuff. You're just terrific, terrific pitcher. I'm telling you guys, the Marlins are going to be no pushovers. But um, as I mentioned before, we got a very big show, so hang tight. Um, we're going to talk to Mike Greenberg next, and then we're going to talk to our buddies at the Apple. We'll be right back. Very excited to be speaking with uh, longtime ESPN fixture, uh, fixture uh, co-host of ESPN's Get Up, co-host of ESPN Radio's Greeny Show, Mike Greenberg, also co-author, the uh, lead author, I should say, of a new book coming out, Got Your Number. It's the greatest sports legends and the numbers they own. Greeny, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, how are you doing? Pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me. I am doing well. Um, I'm super excited about this book. It is the first sports book I've ever done and a very different sort of experience for me. And I'm, I'm as more and more people are starting to see it, I'm getting more and more reaction to some of the decisions that we made. And um, it is, it is, you know, it's a book is a funny thing because you write it and you do that all by yourself. It's sort of a very solitary experience. And then you send it in and then you wait a year and then all of a sudden people start reading it and, and it becomes like a living, breathing organism. And uh, this, this is that part of the process. So it's a lot of fun. Now, you know, going through the list, and, and I've had the, the, the pleasure of going through a, 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 pre, a pre-issue, and it's, it's really, it's fantastic. It's almost, the purpose of it is to spark debate. And as a sports fan, it's almost what you're looking for, um, hanging out with your buddies. It's, it's really, it was a joy to, to flip through and, and, you know, I guess I have a couple of questions about who you went with, but um, going through the process, were there any real tough, tough decisions that you had to make? Oh, yes, there were some brutal ones. So let me for those who are listening who don't know what you're talking about. So the, 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 <laughs> the, the, pre- the premise of the book is this. We a bunch of us who work on the Get Up show were sitting around one day after the show and someone made the observation of how many Hall of Fame quarterbacks all wore the jersey number 12. So from Bob Greasy, Terry Bradshaw, Roger Staubach, Jim Kelly, Ken Stabler, you know, and then Joe Namath, and, and then, you know, someday Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. And then someone in the room said, yeah, Greeny, they all wore number 12, but who owns the number 12? Now, I will tell you that all my life I've wanted to write a sports book. I've written several books. None of them were sports books. And the reason I never did is because I never had a good enough idea. Like, it's one thing to have an idea that will make a good five-minute television segment. An idea that can sustain an entire book is a little more complicated. But when he said that, the idea came to me. This will sustain a book. So with Hembo's help, with the great research that he did, I decided who owns every number in sports history from 1 to 100. And then we wrote 100 little bite-sized chapters So each of them is about 500 words, so two or three pages, in which I explain why. And so the book is equal parts sports debate and sports history, which is to say you're going to agree with some of the decisions I made and you're going to disagree with others. I could tell from the way you set that up, you're going to disagree with a few, and that's great. That's what the idea (laughs) is for. But then once we get past that, whether you agree or disagree, I hope every sports fan will learn stuff from this book. I loved reading about sports history when I was a kid. And I don't feel like there's enough of that anymore. So I absolutely promise anyone who reads this book will learn at least one thing about every single athlete in it. No matter how big a fan you are, no matter how well you think you know an athlete, there'll be something in it you didn't know about every single person in it. So it is equal parts sports debate and sports history. Now, as far as the decisions we had to make, brutal. I think the (laughs) hardest one was 21. 
Look, some of them are easy, right? 3, 23, 42, 99. You don't have to know anything to know who owns those numbers. 21 was a very tough one. So 21 could be Deion Sanders. It could be Tim Duncan. It could be Roberto Clemente. That was a tough choice. If it was your book, who would you have picked? I mean, big fundamental. It's a personal favorite. I think he's an undersung hero. But going with Clemente, who you did, I believe was the right choice. That's what we did. And it was a tough. Here's how I arrived at it. I decided that to try and split hairs amongst their careers was a waste of time that maybe if you're making a historical list of the greatest baseball, football, and basketball players, amongst those three, the one who actually ranks the highest is Duncan. But so minimally, the difference between him and Dion and Clemente are so minimal that you can't really separate them based on that. The historical and cultural significance of Roberto Clemente's life and career is how I made this decision. Roberto Clemente is one of the five most important baseball players that ever lived. Maybe, maybe that's even selling short his influence and impact well beyond what a great player he was. And so that's ultimately how I did it. I mean, the humanity baseball's humanitarian award is named the Roberto Clemente award. So that's how I, I broke that tie amongst three of the all time greats. Conversely, Another of the controversial decisions that I made was on the number four, which was equally challenging because you have Bobby Orr, you have Lou Gehrig, and you have Brett Favre. On that one, clearly Gehrig is the most culturally important. He's a person who is still remembered, uh, whatever we are now, 80 years after his death. The circumstances, tragic as they are, that but people associate his name. I mean, through my childhood, ALS was known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Sure. And oh, by the way, he's the greatest first baseman that ever lived and held one of the most revered records in the sport for however long he held that 60 years. <laughs> um, but, and I know a lot of people think I should have chosen Gehrig and I can't tell them they're wrong. <laughs> and Favre on almost any other number would have been worthy of a spot in the book. But when I went through Orr, <laughs> Orr is different. He is higher. Bobby Orr is the second greatest hockey player that ever lived. It's Wayne Gretzky and then Bobby Orr. And that is, that can't be ignored. His greatness to me was just too, his greatness was just too great. Revolutionized so the, the game. I'm sorry, you revolutionized the game in two different eras between Orr and then Gretzky. That's correct. And, and he remains the greatest, by far the greatest defenseman that ever lived and the second greatest player that ever lived. And he changed the game because the game was one where the defenseman didn't score until he came along. So I decided he had to be in the book. And so I chose him over Gehrig, which was an excruciating decision <laughs> I have to make. Um, and I know it's one a lot of people disagree with. And I get it. I, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I totally get it. But yeah. I, I felt better about not leaving Orr out. Oh, but I think that's kind of the beauty of it is expressing an opinion and, and letting the reader debate, whether it's with with the author in the privacy of their home while they're reading like, oh, no, no, or, with, or leaving that on the table for, for a bunch of buddies to read. Now, you know, you turn honestly, I'm a Mets fan. So the first place I looked was number 41. Tom Seaver justifiably is is in the book is number 41. Now, 
Dirk Nowitzki, that's the other number 41 that really comes to my mind. I, you know, if you want to put Glenn Rice in that circle, maybe, but Dirk Nowitzki is an inner circle Hall of Famer. With Seaver's resume, and I love the stats that you guys pulled up on what he did between 69 and 70, 780 strikeouts between 69 and 71 just blows my mind. But is there anything like that where it was, all right, you have two surefire Hall of Famers, but one is just head and shoulders above the other, as in Seaver to Nowitzki? Yeah, he wasn't head and shoulders. I mean, look, Nowitzki is, was his greatness – clearly worthy of a space in the book, but I couldn't put him ahead of Seaver. Um, that was, in fact, that wasn't even one of the hardest decisions I had to make. Again, 21 was much harder. Um, let's put it this way. Leaving out Lou Gehrig was a lot harder than leaving out Dirk Nowitzki. And I don't mean that in any way to shortchange Nowitzki, but Seaver, I don't know that. C- I think that Seaver, like you're a Met fan and we, I'm sitting here in New York. And I, those of us who grew up in New York in the 70s were ridiculously aware of Seaver. Everyone I knew, he was their favorite player. I mean, you know, I, I lived in a, in, a, in a split neighborhood. It was half Yankee fans and half Met fans. And, and, and I mean, the legend that this was just after they were a World Series team. I'm not old enough for that. I don't remember 69 or even 73. Um, You know, I was born in 67. So the Mets that I really remember, I remember the Rusty Staub Mets. Uh, (laughs) um, And and uh, but Seaver, even after they traded him, remained at everybody's favorite, remained everybody's favorite player. Um, You know, in the same way that Munson was every Yankee fan's favorite player at the the time. And um, so Seaver was to me a larger than life figure. And and. I think outside of New York and outside of Met fans, not as remembered as he should be. Um, when you talk about the great players of that era, people tend to remember. Now, of course, he had a lot more longevity, but people will remember Nolan Ryan better than Seaver. But Nolan Ryan was nowhere near the pitcher that Tom Seaver was for his career. He put up ridiculous numbers based on on a few freaky skill sets and and his longevity. And And, and we gave Ryan a spot in the book, too, because of his – sort of Clint Eastwood-esque kind of stature. But the best pitchers in baseball in my childhood were Tom Seaver and Steve Carlton. Um, I came along after Gibson. You know, I was I was sort of in that period in between. So Seaver to me was uh, close to a no-brainer. That's great. Um, another Mets theme. I, I, of course, I had to flip to 17. I knew Keith Hernandez wasn't going to be there. What was I, – I, it was a really excellent chapter on John Havlicek. But – you know, when weighing these things, I, I guess, look at Jackie Robinson. Look at 42. You have Jackie Robinson, who, who absolutely changed the game of baseball. Um, plus, and then some, you know, some say he might have even kick-started the civil rights movement. But, you know, you have a guy like Mariano Rivera, who was unquestionably the greatest reliever of all time, only guy with 100% Hall of Fame voting. Was it even close when, when trying to debate those two? No, and, 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 and it wasn't. I mean, look, you can't do this book and not have and not give Jackie Robinson 42. I mean, the, yeah. the, the number is retired across the sport in his honor. Yeah. You know, like like so you can't do it. So sure. Rivera. And we did actually find a, a place for Rivera in the book because not all the numbers are Jersey numbers. So we did find a place to put him in the book, which I was happy we were able to do. But if it was a simple matter of either Jackie or and it was because having your own Jersey number is the greater yeah. is the greater honor. And even in a book like this, no, that was so to your point. Yes. Rivera, 
unbelievable. Loved him. Uh, everything that should be said about Marion Rivera, I am more than willing to say. That said, Jackie Robin, let's put it this way. Some of them were done before I wrote it. Like <laughs> When I had the idea, there was some we, we didn't have to discuss three. We didn't have to discuss 23. We didn't have to discuss 42. And we didn't have to discuss 99. Those were the four that were decided before we even started. Oh, it's I'm, I'm actually a little I'm, I'm a little disappointed that Turk Wendell wasn't in the conversation. Okay. For I mean, you're like the fourth person who has said that to me. Which is really <laughs> funny. But, you know, Hernandez is in the book and indirectly. And so are Gary Carter and all those guys, because I gave 86 to the 86 Mets. Yeah. There, were, there were quite a few um, teams that I thought deserved to be uh, sort of memorialized in this way in spots where there weren't jersey numbers that were all time. Look, if, if Jerry Rice had worn number 86, then the Mets wouldn't be in here, right? <laughs> but, but, but there wasn't an 86 that I felt we needed to put in. And so I thought the Mets, what most people I think, especially because they've now started making the document, we've seen the documentaries, the 30 for 30s and all that kind of stuff. People remember the cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they remember the, the wild, you know, they were a circus. They remember sure. that. What they don't remember is how great that team was. And they were. They're one of the greatest teams in the history of the National League. But you'll know this. And actually, frankly, anyone listening to this podcast will know it because it's a Mets <laughs> But I don't know that, ev- that everyone knows this. The Mets won 108 games that year. The only teams in National League history to win more had been in 06 and 09. They won more games that year than any National League team had won in almost 80 years. Yeah. And then when you add to that, the most famous rally in the history of the sport, I mean, I, I think if you, they've been playing baseball for 150 years. Is there a more famous rally than game six? I, I, don't, I don't know that there is a more famous rally that, that, that the sport has ever seen in its own way. It might be the most famous half inning in the history of baseball. So those two things made that an easy choice. So for the Met fan, um, while guys like Gary Carter and, and, and Hernandez and Ron Darling and, and Gooden and Strawberry and all them, they don't have their own individual uh, chapters. They did, they did get the number 86, all of them together. And, and I will fight anyone who tells me that's a bad choice. It's great. No, I, it, was, it was awesome to see. And, and it's just, it's, it's just it, as I said in the beginning, it's such a – a joy to just say, Oh, you know what? Let me go look up other numbers because boy, I could think of maybe two or three on this page that I could probably toss in there. And then you get there and it's like, well, that's a, that's a darn good point. And you really can't even argue in some cases. It's, it's really, it, it was a joy to get into. Some you absolutely can. And some there are yeah. arguments and people will make arguments and I will say, yeah, you have a point. You know, sure. I had to make a choice. I chose the way I chose and I'll defend it. But you're not wrong. If you tell me that, that Lou Gehrig should have been four or Deion Sanders should have been 21, I'm definitely not going to tell you that you're just flat out wrong. Um, the other thing uh, that, that I was thinking as you were saying that is that the, the, the beauty of it is that we can have these debates and they will remind us all of fun stuff. Like no matter what, like whether you think I made the right choice or the wrong choice, you'll think back to all those days in 86 as you read it and you'll learn things about them. So that's where the history piece of it comes in. So it's it's equal parts, the history and the debate. And I'm I'm equally excited about both of them. Well, it, it really is a terrific read. Um, everybody, it's out on April 4th. I believe it's out for pre-order now. You Correct. guys are signing books in New Jersey, right? This weekend? We will be at um, in Ridgewood at uh, Bookends. Two o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. 
So if anyone wants to come by, we'll take all the questions. We'll do all the debating. We'll take pictures, whatever you want. We'll sign the books and we'll have a good time. And for those who are fans of my show uh, or any of my shows or any of the social media stuff, I have it on good authority that my dog Phoebe will be there as well. And she steals <laughs> the show everywhere that she goes. It's not her first book signing, by the way. We did a children's book uh, about her. So she had her own book signings back in the day when it was her book. But she will come and she will hang out there as well. So, yes, anybody listening, you want to come out and see us Sunday afternoon, 2 o'clock in Ridgewood, New Jersey at Bookends, we would love to see you. Oh, that's amazing. And really, congratulations to you, to Hembo. Um, congratulations on the continued success. I mean, Greeny, I've been I was born in 83. So I believe you were ESPN in the mid 90s. I got there in 96. Yeah. So, yeah, man, I I've been watching it for a very, very long time. And this has been a, a pleasure to speak with you and just. Really, congratulations on the continued success. Well, thank you. The pleasure is mine. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad you liked the book, and I hope I'll see you again. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. All right, guys. We'll be back. Another segment coming soon. Hang tight. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back. Uh, we got our friends from the Apple. We are well represented here at the Apple today. We got Eric Bellier, Alec Horowitz, Chris Simon. You guys have probably seen Chris's photographs uh, at the Apple. Um, guys, we're going to do a little prediction. We're going to do a little Mets, I guess, peering into the crystal ball. See what we, see what we have here. Uh, we're going to play this very much as a lightning round because, you know, working with four on the screen, we have to play a little, uh, I guess, dance through the mayhem. So um, I guess everybody real quick, Eric, Alex, Chris, let's go in that order. Introduce yourselves and uh, and then we'll get started. Eric Bellier, you're up. Eric Bellier, man, known Tim for a long, well, not a long time, probably four years now and kind of stuck together through some of the quieter days of, Mets Twitter and whatnot. And once we got going on here, um, I've been elated to join this the last six years. So I'm excited. Yeah. Nice to, nice to be able to finally get to do this with everybody. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Alex. Same here. Thanks again, Tim. Yeah. Thanks again, Tim. Tim, appreciate the opportunity, man. Uh, Tim and I connected on Twitter, I believe last year as well. Uh, also through my you know good, good buddy, Terrence Sharma, uh, who's a, uh, one of the best on the podcast as well. Um, but yeah, super stoked for the season. You know, really glad, I had to, to have the opportunity to, uh, you know, just jump on the pod and talk some Mets baseball and uh, really excited for the season, guys. Oh, we're glad to have you, man. And Chris, what's up, man? Welcome. Yeah. Hey, thank you very much for having me. You know, I, I, we've definitely been like glue over the last, what, three seasons. I, I mean, it, you know, it started on the random and then, you know, it's been like a whirlwind ever since the middle of 2021. I mean, I wouldn't be in the, the spots without you. So, you know, thank you so much. I'm glad to be able to be on here and, uh, you know, thank you on here. You know, more well, anyone, anyone who's familiar with your work, man, that's they, you progress on your merit, my friend. Hey. Yeah, Javi buys all that stuff, you know, that, that good stuff. You know, it didn't happen without you, man. You're over there sending a link to Mar Marisol Castro. Uh, I think that's her name. And, like, you know, everything else, you know. So many beautiful things. You know, hopefully this season is another another step in the right direction for everybody. Stepping stones, my man. 
All right, you guys, you guys think we can? We're ready to get started. We got some uh, a couple of categories, mm-hmm. mostly Mets related, and um, we'll see where we go from there. Controlled chaos, no other way I'd want it. Yes, give me the man. Absolutely. <laughs> Everyone's happy with the opening day win, by the way. Huge, yeah. What's, what's not what's not to like about it? <laughs> exactly. Hey, you know, um, Max was a little shaky in his last inning, but. The Mets reacted and, and they reacted well and, and they do they do what winning teams uh, are supposed to do. It was very uh, very exciting first first game. Hopefully the first of many. <laughs> yeah, we hope so. About 104 to go, we hope. <laughs> um all right, guys, let's uh let's get this started. So I'm gonna start on who's your offensive MVP for the season? Eric, you're up first. What do we got? Your offensive MVP this year. I mean, I think the easy answer would be McNeil, um, but I think Lindor, not just as an offensive MVP, but a reg- like a general MVP candidate for the National League, um, took huge strides last year, has become arguably the leader of the team. Uh, quiet-ish day today, had a sack fly in RBI, but um, I think I think it's Lindor, and, and you're going to see another excellent season compared to last year. I wouldn't be shocked. Alex, what do you got? Uh, this is a tough question just because, look, the lineup has so many um, all-star-worthy players. Uh, I know we just mentioned, you know, Lindor, McNeil. Uh, one guy I'm going to go with, though, is Pete Alonzo. I mean, Alonzo just had arguably actually probably his best season of his career so far, uh, not, you know, 131 RBIs, uh, 40, 40 home runs for the Metsies. Um And keep in mind, Alonzo is only in his, I think, fifth season now for the Mets and is coming off an eighth-place eighth place finish. NL MVP voting. Um, I know there are hitters on the team that are maybe better getting on base in general, you know, such as McNeil or Lindor, as we just mentioned. But Alonzo is just that spark in the lineup who is a is, is a leader and the team can really rally around. So I think that's something the Mets are going to really need this season, um, especially, you know, after last season's disappointing, disappointing finish. Uh, so coming in for Alonzo, I mean, I think he could be right up there, honestly, in the, in the uh, National League MVP race for sure. I'm with you 100%. Chris, who, who, who are we feeling? I'm definitely thinking we're looking at Nimmo. I mean, especially after today. I, I mean, this is a guy that if he stays healthy, uh, he's 400 on base percentage guy. And you've seen that in 2018. And I uh, believe a little bit in, in 22, you know, but more than anything, if he's able to stay healthy, you might have the next level of his game coming up. And I mean, with the other guys, you, you really do need Nimmo to be another level ahead of what he's really, of he's been in his career. Yeah. If you're going to make something happen this year, oh, absolutely. He's got to, um, he's got to be the guy that that the the Mets need him to be. That and that's kind of in, in all facets, not not just offensively, but um, all, all very good points. Um, I'm actually going to go with Alex on this. I think Pete Alonso is going to take that step from, and he, he kind of has been taking a step from just strictly a power hitter to a well-rounded offensive player. I think he's going to go to an entirely new level this year or in the coming years, but I think this is going to be a big step in that process for him in 2023. Uh, I'm going to go with Pete. I think my honorary mention would probably be Lindor just because he's that close to, I guess, like Eric mentioned, that MVP level player league-wide. Curious how it shakes out, but as far as most important to this ball club, I think any any one of the guys we mentioned can probably be uh, mentioned in that breath. Pitching-wise, and I think this is a very – it's a shaken-up rotation. It's a, it's a much a greatly, you know, at least for right now, um, 
in flux rotation with with Verlander's health kind of uh, in limbo. Um, right now, if you had to make a choice, knowing where Verlander's at, well, I should say not exactly knowing where Verlander's at, but knowing that he's generally, for the most part, you know, okay. Um, who do you guys have as your pitching MVP? Uh, we're going to start with Chris this time. We're going to go go in reverse. All right. Um, I would definitely say a guy like Drew Smith. I mean, this is a random name, but I mean, the guy is is like the perfect guy who could either be a, a, a guy out of nowhere that can become a closer or he can just be the glue that can hold it together for these other guys. I mean, I know you have the starting pitchers. You got Cody Senga. And I mean, yeah, even even if you think of Robertson, you know, today he came in there and it's not beautiful. It's not it's not Edwin Diaz, 99, you know, running up the gun. But, you know, he's the guy. He's he's mixing up the pitches. He's he's keeping the hitters off balance. That's most important. I mean, pitching isn't all about power pitching. You know, there's a finesse way to do it. And I think that Drew Smith is like right in the middle of power and finesse. I really always loved how he's pitched, like ever since he came over for Lucas Duda. That's all. You know, I think that this is a year where he can really break out, especially in the, you know, with a void at the closer role. Oh, we saw it Thursday, man. If if that seventh, eighth, and ninth, you know, kind of progression, whether it's those three guys or whether they have to mix it up, they're going to have to mix it up, of course. But boy, if those can be your, you know, your tripod of your of your back innings for now and make that work, that's that's a big thing. That could most certainly be the most valuable part. Uh, Alex, who do you got here? Now, I'm very – now my mind's blown that we're going into the bullpen too because this could be a very yeah, important so thing. So just like Chris alluded to, I'm going to also shift to the bullpen um, just because I do think the Mets starters are uh, – I mean, they probably have the best rotation in baseball. Again, it does – Even with Verlander. Nonetheless, I think, uh, I think the rotation is very solid. So – Given that we're expecting the rotation to be pretty good, I'm looking at the bullpen. Who's really going to stand out and kind of, you know, and pick up uh, where it's needed, especially, you know, we got to consider that Diaz is out for the year, unfortunately. So I'm going to go to David Robertson, who as of now looks like he's going to be the closer. I know it's a kind of a uh, – it's going to be – it's going to change day to day, but for now he's the closer. David Robertson's, you know, his first year with the Mets, he's proved he can close games in New York before. Uh, he had 39 saves with the Yankees uh, about nine years ago in 2014. Um I'm not saying he's still the pitcher he was with the Yankees or even with the White Sox. You know, he's bounced around Phillies, Tampa as well. Um, but he's, you know, a really solid guy. He can also set up games. He can close games, a very versatile reliever. And, and this all goes back to the Diaz situation where, you know, I probably would have said Diaz before, but now that the Mets don't have a surefire closer, who's really going to be that guy when things get shaky in the ninth to lock things down? I think it's going to be D-Rob for sure. I think that's a very good point, and I think he has the makeup to be a closer. He succeeded in the past. He did it with Philly last year. His uh, his his record through the postseason in recent years has been terrific. Um, and like you mentioned, without Diaz, it's going to be a very very important and it's going to be an integral part. It's going to be like a fulcrum point of this team if they can do what they've been doing. That's that's a plus, man. Uh, Eric, Eric, what do you have in the in the pitching department? So this could kind of go both ways, whether it's an X factor and MVP, but I kind of view David Peterson as what Taiwan Walker was last year when DeGrom and Scherzer were out, you know, a guy that without Taiwan last year, they didn't win 101 games. Um, I think Peterson's finally ready to take that step and he's not being screwed around with as much as he was um, where he's a bullpen guy. He's a long reliever. They're bringing him in the eighth inning in the subway series game. 
now he's kind of solidified a spot in the rotation with, I mean, as close to a perfect as a, of a spring as you can get. Um, I, I think having – I'm a sucker for two lefties in the, in the rotation, but with, with Quintana out, obviously that's not the case. But him being that one lefty and, and with the repertoire he has and the strides he's taken, I think you're looking at a pretty decent-sized breakout season out of a guy from David Peterson. Oh, and he's, you know, with the – with the, I guess, the responsibilities that are now placed on him, you know, one with with Quintana being out now with Verlander missing time. Um, yeah, it's going to be a, between him and now McGill coming into the rotation, it's going to be, you know, very, very important for him to do his thing. And he, he seems like a guy with, with confidence. He just can get better and better. Um, that's an excellent call. I think he can really make waves. I think he can absolutely make it make a, a difference in how this season moves along um pitching wise I, I, my mvp at least my candidate for mvp is actually going to be kode senga um you have two you know veteran starting pitchers at the front of your rotation um both have been extremely effective uh, in recent years of course have dealt with injuries here and there verlander more so than scherzer but you know these are two players who are still very much at the top of their game and um, should lead this rotation. That being said, Sanga is why I one, I think he has the potential to take the lead by storm. I think that what he wasn't showing hitters or at least showing scouts or whoever was watching in spring training by kind of holding back that ghost fork first, it was the finger, but then he didn't really see it much in his next outing either. Um, I think he's ready to explode on the league, and I think he's going to do just that. I'm not sure how many of you guys are old enough to remember um, Hideo Nomo breaking into the league. Yeah, yeah. How just effective and and he took the league by storm. And you know, I hate comparing two Asian-born players in that way, but you know, with the looks that these hitters are going to get, it's going to be. And I'm not saying in an international in, in an international way, it's going to be foreign to them. Just the way it's coming out, they don't have much to scout off. You know, Nomo was much more pronounced, of course, with that funky delivery. But, um, yeah, I think Senga is going to blow guys away just with how he approaches the art of pitching as opposed to, you know, your run-of-the-mill major leaguers who just might see it a little bit differently. And I think the mental aspect could kind of put him over the top. And uh, I'm expecting a, a very, very big year from, uh, from Kode Senga. I'm going to shift this back over to actually, you know what? Let's make it a combined X factor. Um, Alex, who do you think is your X factor? Maybe an unexpected difference maker. Yeah. Is it progressing through the year? Great question. You know, I was thinking about this when you, when you uh, messaged us before, because I feel like a lot of times X factor and MVP could sometimes overlap, but the more I thought about it, I think, you know, the X factor for this team could be Daniel Vogelback. I know he struggled at times last season, but I uh, came into spring training, you know, uh, you know, ready, really ready to uh, for a bounce back year. And as of now, again, he's as as of now, he looks like the full time DH, you know, at least for the time being. And that's one thing the Mets struggled with last season finding a consistent DH. I know, you know, they bounced between Darren Ruff, JD Davis, uh, Vogelback. Well, now Davis and Ruff are both gone, so maybe this is Vogie's time to shine. Uh, you know, he he showed some serious pop last year. I mean, even look at today, he uh, scored the first run of the game on a, a short sacrifice fly when last season, I really would not have thought he was going to score on a, on a ball hit that shortly. So, it's, you know, these, these are all little things that I'm just noticing so far, but 
I think if he can really, you know, take that DH role and make it his for the uh, majority of the season, that's going to be a really key thing for the Mets. Again, who struggled with finding a DH uh, with the first year of the DH in the National League uh, last season. I love it. I, I think that Vogie's going to be a, a big part of this team. And I, lo- I love the aggressiveness on the base pass today. He went first to third, came home on the short sacrifice fly. I think that's the type of stuff that it's going to make a difference. And, yeah. and I don't mind Buck going to his bench halfway through a game with his DH. Whatever fits the, uh, fits the model of the game. And as long yeah. as everybody's on board with that, I, I'm good with that. Chris, you're up. Who's your X factor, my friend? I would say Escobar most, most yeah. because if he played in September, if he plays September this season, you know, you even give half of a season like that. And this team is much different offensively. I mean, it makes the lineup deeper. And then, you know, you don't have to put so much pressure on Beatty to come up and rake. On top of that, you have, you know, you could put him in the DH role more. If you want to have Guillaume out there for defense to have, you know, an extra defensive guy out there. You know, give Lindor an ability to go more, you know, more into the over the middle opposed. I mean, I know they can't shift, but at least they could be a little further towards second base with with with, with Guillaume with more range. So you know, more more things that I mean, I would say Guillaume at the infield platoon, and uh, yeah, next because I want to. I don't want to drag it on, but <laughs> you're okay, definitely. man. Eric, Eric, we have an X factor on either side of the chalk. Yeah, I was unexplicably excited for the Omar uh, Narvaez signing. Um, <clears throat> I think people are viewing him as a roadblock to to getting um, Alvarez up here, but I think you could tell in Scherz's confidence um, today in at least the first five innings of of what he could do, and that comes with who you're who's catching you. And uh, Narvaez minus it looked like he tripped over his own feet when Cooper hit the home run, but all <laughs> the great game. He was excellent behind the plate. Um, just the idea of McCann not batting ninth anymore is a, a, a positive, but um, Narvaez did, did get a base hit today. And I believe it was the first hit of the game for the Mets. And uh, he scored, scored from first on Nimmo's double. Hustle he did. Home. Yeah, he, he did. I, why am I getting phone calls? Uh, oh, that's Okay. Um, um, but I think it's it's Nervaez, and I don't think it's close. I, I, I think if he can call a game and give Nito some time off, I think it's I think it's Omar. Yeah. Oh, it, it, another guy who could just be a solid, solid cog. And you know, the more pieces you have that fit into the puzzle, the you know the the tighter this thing's going to fit, and it's going to be great. But uh, for me, it's and and I think we saw it at the end of last season when he was hurt and he wasn't around towards the end of the year. The X factor for the New York Mets is Starling Marte. If yes. Starling Marte is there and he's doing what he's there to do and still capable of doing, this team's just, it's a different team. It's a, di- it's a different team with a different dynamic. And you saw it down the stretch in 2022. You saw it in the wild card series against the Padres. Just you're missing that extra gear in Marte. And I think to me, that's just the epitome of an X factor. And, and yeah, I, I think that, you know, as and you could say this about so many guys on this team, whether it's Alonzo, Lindor, whatever. But as Starling Marte goes, so do the Mets, and and I'm really, really excited to see where things go for him this season. Um, because I, I, I really don't. It doesn't seem like he's slowing down. He had a great spring. Looks like he's feeling very healthy after a double groin surgery in the off season, which doesn't sound great, but. You know, he hit well once he uh, got started this spring. He looks extremely fit, you know. 
good for him. Uh, the, the the better for the Mets it is, and uh, I think he's just the type of guy who could who could help out. Now we've all we're all well aware of where the Mets are injury wise. Um, mm-hmm. Edwin Diaz out for the season. There's always going to be something popping up. I asked you guys for either a uh, for a surprise addition, whether it's a player that'll come in or a position that the Mets might be going after um, this summer. What are our predictions? We're going to start with, I forgot who we went with last time. So Eric, back to you. Yeah, this one's a little bit out of left field. I think a lot of people are going to lean on the Otani train a little bit, but <laughs> what, what, what makes a team like the Mets, you know, take, that next step over the top is when you get around the deadline. And uh, I think we'll get a taste of it next week, but I think there's a very good chance Corbin Burns could be a Met. Um, I think with everything that went on with the arbitration over half a million dollars, which I still think is crazy with him and the Brewers, he wants out. And and a guy that, you know, you want to talk about a three-headed monster, him, Verlander, and Scherzer, and be able to, you know, add to that strong suit where, look, you could move Carrasco in a, in a, in a three game series to the bullpen, if you needed to, like they did last year with him in Taiwan. So, I mean, I, I think, I think a guy like Burns to the, to the, to the rotation, put that team over the top. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Forget it. And, you know, if you're going to be dealing with, let's say Verlander's thing lingers, um, you know, that would be an ultimate pivot. It's going to be costly, but ultimate pivot. Yeah. But if, if you're going to win a world series, you got to do it. Man. Oh, that's, that's a world series type move. Alex, what do you what do you like? What do you where's your head at? Yeah, so uh, again, it's something I've been thinking about lately. Is um, I was thinking back to the last you know the last pennant winning team in Queens, 2015, and you look at that team. You know they they struggled really for most of the year, and would really push push them. I don't want to cut you off, bro. I don't think they could bring Juan Uribe back. (laughs) (laughs) Well. And, and it's funny cup. you say that because it was I mean, that like funny funny you say that because that, that was really along my line of thinking that um, I was more so saying that like you got you picked up guys like you said your rebate Kelly Johnson guys who are you know super under the radar guys who are far from stars but um, really kind of sparked the team you know mid season you know July August etc. So um, in terms of like what type of guy um, specifically that would be you know for the Mets come you know July and August. I cannot say exactly just yet. However, I'm looking at the roster now, and you look at a guy like Tim uh, Tim LaCastro, uh, from picked him up from the Yankees. Uh, I think he's a really great guy to have off the bench. One, he's already excelled in New York. Two, um, you know, he's the perfect type of guy one off the bench. You know, a, 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 excuse me, he's a, a base stealing threat. Um, you know, really just a high energy guy, and also he's a, a local guy from upstate New York, uh, Ithaca College. So. Um, I think, you know, that's the type of guy. I'm not saying it's going to be Lacastro specifically, but like I said, like, like I said, looking ahead to August and September, you're going to want a guy like him and, you know, a Kelly Johnson type, someone who's like, so, someone's going to think like, who is this guy? But ultimately they may be included on the postseason roster. So um, time will only tell who it's going to be. Um, but, you know, th- those are the type of guys that are going to uh, have you win, you know, in October and just, you know, citing last season, Citing last season specifically, I know it, it you know, never got to this point, but the, Met, the Mets picked up. I'm um, blanking on his name. Who's the guy that got uh, literally for uh, just to steal bases? He came in once in the playoff game. I'm Terrence blanking Gore. on his name. Terrence Gore. Terrence Gore, yeah, exactly. A guy, a guy like Gore who you're, you're going to utilize for, for pinch running and base stealing and really just really just a spark off the bench. So, so someone, yeah. you know, really just kind of an, an, an uh, energizer bunny uh, is, you know, kind of what I'm thinking of. And I think that would really help the team. You know, come October. 
Oh, absolutely. And it always does. It always seems to, to help out in some way or fashion, whether it's getting on base, whether it's pinch running. You see a guy like that who's just like your, tw- your, your you know, prototypical 26th guy go in and make, you know, the right moves and make, you know, just a total yeah. difference. Uh, Chris, who do you like in the X, fa- in the, uh, excuse me, in the addition department? Surprise additions, players, positions, what do you got? I mean, there's one player that when you guys were saying this right now, I'm thinking like Kike Hernandez, the Red Sox are right. going to be competing. I mean, that's a guy who plays like six positions. He's like a Chris Taylor kind of player. I mean, that's really that's really the only the real the real. I mean, they need they need real they need a power threat. That would be nice, but it's just like it's not it's not easy to get those guys for nothing. And the thing that they didn't do in the off season, the thing they didn't do at the trade deadline was trade their young guys. It can end up being their young guys that become the additions. It's like the thing that everybody wants to troll about. It's like an addition at the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, when you when you think of Vientos, Mauricio, Alvarez, and Beatty, these guys are are spots that you know generally you would trade for players in that in that vein with the skill level. I mean, their experience, of course, isn't there, but at the same time, there's a lot. They're looking at Noah Syndergaard back in 2015, like you mentioned, he was a very big part of the World Series run. So, I mean. Everybody wants to, you know, think that we have to spoon feed these 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 guys or or walk them very very slowly. But if we're 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 throwing them into the fire and we're giving them opportunities, I mean, Mauricio has already done it in Dominican Winter League, which is similar to World Baseball Classic kind of atmosphere, where it matters to these guys, and he knows that it matters to the fan base. So I mean, why not throw a guy like that who's been a part of the farm system for a few years, and like before you're going to go out and trade anybody. Because anybody they're going to trade is going to cost, especially because it's the mess now. These these yeah. teams aren't just going to give us, you know, Yohannes Cespedes for for Fulmer. <laughs> that, that was that was at one point when when there was a charity almost like when they seen everybody seen the mess as like a cute little story every five six years they come out now every year that that a team to be you know. Yep. You know, gunned against. So well, hey, you know, look at look at Javi Baez, and I know that people are very sour on the Javi Baez deal because he traded away a good player in 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 Pete Crow Armstrong. You know, Baez had a really really nice run with the Mets. It just wasn't, yeah, a, yeah. you know, it wasn't a fit here. It wasn't a fit with the, with the whole thumbs down thing. But you really have to walk gently in these situations. Personally, I think they're going to go reliever. I think they're going to fill that closer role. I think they're going to go out and trade for David Bednar. I'm just going to throw no, that directly in the middle of the board. Yeah. That, that's who I want. Um, it's going to cost a lot, but, you know, hopefully Epler can limit that cost to the extent that you don't have to give up one of your, your, your main core prospects. And, you know, I guess it depends what position the Mets are in. If they're cruising, they don't necessarily need them. That's leverage in their pocket. But if the, if the, if the Diaz absence is noticeable, it's going to, um, yeah, it might put them in a position that they have to do it. And it might, I think you might end up seeing it become costly, but you know, we shall see. Um, we are running out of time, so we're going to go right to how many wins of the Mets playoffs this year? What happened? No, I was just said playoffs, playoffs, playoffs. How many wins are the Mets going to rack up this year? And 
we'll get we'll start with playoff positioning. Are they winning the division? Are they getting a wild card? Are they not making the playoffs? Uh, speed round. Let's go, Alex. You're first. How many wins? And are they getting into the show, into the dance? Okay, I'm gonna be as non-biased as possible because. Uh, as much of a Mets fan as I am, got to be realistic. I'm going to say last season was amazing, and it's going to be tough to replicate. So I'm going to say, let's say 97 wins, which is pretty pretty darn close to what they had last year. I'm going to say they get they win the division, though, 97 wins, even though the Braves and Phillies are close. We get to the NLCS, and unfortunately, again, being non-biased, I'm going to say San Diego gets the best of us again. San Diego wins in, let's say, six games. And I think San Diego can, San Diego can win it all this year. That's another story, but... Um, like I said, the Mets are really going to be in the thick of the race now. I really think we do have a legitimate shot, shot to win the World Series, but I think San Diego is just a decent amount better than us now. Um, but definitely a better ending than the 2022 season, which really uh, left uh, a broken heart for a lot of us. I like that. And I like the, um, I, like the uh, I guess, keeping it unbiased because, boy, yeah, that San Diego team looks really good. Uh, Eric, who do you got? And let's do what Alex did. Take it right up to November. Yeah, uh, 93 in the division. I think this year you see a bit of a regression in win totals with the way the schedule is now. You know, everybody playing everybody. Um, and so you're thinking parity. You're thinking parity that is on the way with this uh, with this different schedule. Not even parity. I think just unfamiliarity. Like, you okay. know, the way, you know, it's like we said, the old, you know, it took a year for Lindor to get used to the National League. Okay. You know, right. A situation like that. Um, I think 93 in the division, um, and I think that they, they lose to, in, in the NLCS, similar to what Alex said. Not to who, I don't know, but I think I think they get. Okay. that's I think that's fair. That's, you know, that's it's there's some very good teams out there. Chris, where's your head at? Where, where are these Mets finishing this year? I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy because if you look at the fact that Verlander's not starting a season, it might end up being that he gets an extra two weeks that he doesn't have to pitch in April. Might be a blessing in disguise for him because you don't want you don't want Verlander to have to push when you have yeah. Tyler McGill. I mean, I feel like they're downplaying McGill after what he did at the beginning of last season. I mean, he was basically their ace. I mean, everybody could say Scherzer, Scherzer, but Tyler McGill posted and then it ended up being the second all hitter in Mets history. So, yeah, uh, I, I honestly think that they, this year they can end up being the Phillies. I don't think that they're going to get they're going to get their manager fired, but it's just I don't think that I think that the month of June, they have a very tough schedule where they uh, we were talking about it last night. I think, yeah, I was talking with, with uh, Los and Bobby and um, with Naquan. Right. So in that month, they only play the Pirates. Everybody else has been a playoff team in the last two years. So. That's where I feel like it, it might get a little tricky. They have a they have the month of May where they can kind of coast. They have they have the the September schedule from last year, so I know they have run out of time. So uh, I'd say 80, 89 wins, <laughs> with eighty nine to ninety one wins, and I, they might end up being the Phillies, make it to the World Series. Yeah, I, yeah, because it's not it's not the same series. It wouldn't be the same thing because I don't think the I think the Padres are going to win the division. And they're going to have the yeah. best record, and the Mets might have the second best record. Or if they if they end up with the eighty nine to ninety one, they're just going to end up as the the Phillies and have to run through the wild card. See, I, I think that the Mets are looking at a at a nine at a mid nineties win team. I don't know if they win the division. I think that the Phillies are actually good enough to win this division. That offense, um, if Wheeler and Nola are 
who they're supposed to be. That could be a force, man. Um, I think the Mets win, let's say they win 94, 95 games. I think they're the wild card, the top wild card. I do think they get to the NLCS, and I, I almost feel like they face an NL East rival in the NLCS, and I am not making that prediction now. <laughs> um, it'll be tough. It'll be a tough one. I think the Mets go to the NLCS, and they face an NL East team. Um, and I think the winner of that NLCS wins the World Series. I think it's that talented of a group. But we are running out of time. I want to thank Eric Belli. I want to thank Alex Horowitz. I want to thank Chris Simon. Um, guys, follow the Apple this year. There's going to be a lot going on, more podcasts, more written content. Guys, again, thank you so much for coming on. If you listen along, you guys know the sign-off. It's Let's Fucking Go Mets. We will be back with a new episode, I believe, over the weekend, if not midweek next week. You guys, all together, let's say goodbye. Hey, let's fucking go Mets. All right. Let's fucking, all go, right. Mets, let's fucking go Mets, boys. Yeah. All right. We love it. We love it. We love it. Thanks for having first me. First win in the book. We will uh, see you guys next time. Thanks for hanging out. Hey, have a great nice. night, guys.